This is episode 324 with my fellow running coach, the host of the Elevate Your Running podcast and Boston Marathon qualifier, Sarah Manderscheid. Welcome to the Strength Running Podcast. I'm your host, Coach Jason Fitzgerald, and the goal of this show, strengthrunning.com, and our YouTube channel is to help you better understand the process of improvement. Because when you recognize knowledge as a competitive advantage, you'll be a much better runner. If you're new here, welcome. I'm the head coach of Strength Running, formerly a 239 marathoner, and a monthly columnist for Trail Runner Magazine. On this podcast, I share my insights on the sport and speak with the world's smartest subject matter experts to help you improve. I'm happy to connect anytime, so feel free to email me or you can send me a message on Instagram or YouTube. Now I want to thank our partners who support the show. They're offering you some great discounts, which I hope you'll take advantage of. And both of these companies offer products that I use on a near daily basis. First is Drink Element a delicious, sugar-free, high-sodium electrolyte mix. Now, I love this stuff because it's perfect for endurance runners who are sweating a lot, drinking a lot of water, and because of that can be susceptible to imbalances. My favorite flavor is watermelon salt, but citrus salt is also to die for. Now, you didn't hear it from me, but these can also be used to make a very tasty, sugar-free margarita or the next morning to help you feel better if you've had too many of those margaritas. Now, electrolytes play a key role in helping you avoid dehydration, dizziness, cramps, and tiredness, especially after long runs or workouts. An element is used by the military, law enforcement, professional sports teams, and they're the official hydration partner of Team USA Weightlifting. Get your free sample pack with any purchase at drinklmnt.com slash strengthrunning, and they'll let you try every flavor. That's drinklmnt.com slash strengthrunning for your free sample pack. Next is Prevenex, the only supplement company that I trust. With third-party testing of ingredients and finished products, plus donations to kids in need, Prevenex is voluntarily putting themselves under more scrutiny and holding themselves to higher standards. Create some health for yourself at prevenex.com and use code JASON15 for 15% off. You're going to love their Joint Health Plus product because it actually works. If you have any issues with your ankles, knees, or hips, know that Joint Health Plus reduces joint pain and improves how you feel with clinical double-blinded studies to prove it. Stay tuned until after the show, and I'll share the most recent testimonial from one of our listeners. It's pretty amazing. You can try it now at Prevenex.com, and don't forget to use code JASON15 for 15% off your purchase. All right, my guest today is running coach Sarah Manderscheid. Sarah is a running coach and Boston qualifier with more than 15 years of competitive experience. She hosts the Elevate Your Running podcast and Elevate Your Running camps held in Boulder, Colorado. You can hear Sarah interview me in a more personal way in episode 257 of the podcast. In this episode, she joins me to take your running questions. I asked for your toughest training questions and you guys delivered with topics ranging from injury prevention, heart rate, warming up for easy runs versus hard workouts, planning training over multiple years, and a lot more. Without further delay, please enjoy this wide-ranging Q&A with Sarah Manderscheid. 
All right, Sarah, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Jason. Thanks so much for having me. Happy to be here. Yeah, well, I was thinking we probably should have done this in person, but this is a unique time for you to be recording a podcast. First of all, happy birthday. It is your birthday today, right? Yes, thank you so much. It is my birthday. Yay. (laughs) You're also in Indy. Where are you? Indianapolis? I'm in Indianapolis sitting in a hotel room, uh, ready (laughs) to race a half marathon tomorrow. Awesome. Well, you've got a lot going on today with your race preparation for tomorrow and your birthday being today. So I appreciate the time you've made for our strength running listeners today. So thank you. You're welcome. I'm really excited for the conversation and I know it's going to be great. Well, we have pulled together a whole bunch of different training questions from strength running listeners, and we are going to tackle these in in no specific order. I think we're going to start with some injury questions first, and then we're going to get into some bigger picture questions about how to design training for the long term. And there's a lot of different flavors of these questions that we're going to get to. So we're going to dive right in um, uh, and, and talk first about a very specific question from JD. Uh, He's had a couple hamstring strains over the last year. So he's obviously a little bit worried about getting more hamstring strains. So his question is, is there some indicator, a red flag or something similar during a workout that you're nearing a muscle pull and need to cut the workout short? This is a tricky one because usually muscle pulls are non-existent one second, and then a second later, your hamstring is in three pieces. So (laughs) what do you think, Sarah? Yeah, definitely. It's one of those things where, whoop, there it goes. I think it's important to focus in on what's going on before the run. So a proper warm up, making sure that you're properly warming up into the speed and into the pace. I love running a really nice transition mile. Sometimes it's a 1K before I actually start my workout. It's that pace that's in between easy and it's in between your first rep. Let's say you're running 400. So it's a nice way to really warm up the body and especially focusing in on those dynamic stretches, those dynamic drills or the drills. Um, And as we're going into winter and having just a colder season, I think it's really important to emphasize those stretches and those drills a little bit more as well as that transition pace. But then I would also focus it on strength training. I think that's going to be a huge piece to making sure that your hammies, your legs, your lower body, your entire body is strong and feeling really good. And it may prevent some of those muscle pulls or some of those little niggles that we have when we're in training. Yeah, this is definitely a more difficult question because I mean, I think the simple answer is no. There's typically not some kind of warning sign that your your muscle is about to tear or get a strain. So really the question then comes down to prevention and making sure you're doing everything right before you start running very, very fast so that you're just reducing the risk of getting that kind of an injury from the very beginning. And, And I think like you said, um, you know, doing some kind of a dynamic warm up before you even start running to really prime the body for the act of running is going to be really important. Um, and then, you know, just in general, it's probably more important to do a more thorough warm up the faster your running is going to be. So if you're running a really fast workout or you're getting ready to race, let's say a mile, 
your warm-up should be a lot more comprehensive than if you were about to race a marathon. You know, a lot of coaches would probably not even recommend doing any running before a marathon because on the one hand, you know, you're not ready to run about 27 miles that day. You've only been running probably up to 20 miles. And we, we want to spare our glycogen or fuel stores before a marathon. That's not really true with, with a shorter workout or a 5K or a shorter event. And so we can run a couple miles. We can do a series of strides. We can do that dynamic warm up. We can do some form drills. And then as we start the wor- workout, I think your suggestion of doing a slower rep beforehand just to further that warm up process is a really good one. But, you know, in general, I don't really think that that there's some sort of indicator or red flag that you're nearing a muscle pull. Um, of course, if you are doing sprint workouts, just recognize that a little bit is really all you need. You know, we're distance runners, we're endurance runners. Doing a lot of sprint work, especially if you're running relatively high mileage, is going to be putting that sprint work within the context of high fatigue. And that makes me very nervous. So whenever you're going to be running really fast, let's say anything faster than mile race pace, let's make sure you warm up really, really well and probably keep the volume of that pretty low. Yeah. Uh, Let's move on to a question about injury prevention, a little more general. Um, You know, I've long said that the number one injury prevention strategy you can implement is just smart training. Let's make sure you're doing intelligent training. And this question from Michael really gets at that. He says, after intelligent training design, what other decisions should be made to keep athletes healthy and progressing? What do you think, Sarah? Wow. There's so much here. I feel like you can do so much in terms of keeping the athletes healthy and progressing. I feel like first and foremost, you need to have like joy in your training. You need to and should have something that you're really going after and something that makes you excited. And I think that's going to be easier to progress forward when you're excited about it, when it's something that fills your cup and you're excited to get out the door every day or most days because there are going to be days that we aren't necessarily uh, as motivated. And I think there's so many other things that we can look into in terms of staying healthy. So we can look at our mind and staying healthy on the mindset piece of things. Um, we can stay healthy in terms of making sure that we're getting our sleep and all of the eight hours that they recommend uh, athletes get per night. Sleep is the number one recovery tool. It also helps us stay healthy and happy. And I think that's a great starting point going into um, going into this season. Yeah, the sleep is going to be a huge issue. I think there was a study showing like if you got less than six hours sleep, it it increased your injury risk dramatically. I, I think it was like up to 50%. And and look, guys, we're participating in a sport that has a pretty high injury risk by itself, and we should be doing everything in our power to reduce our injury risk. So I'd probably put sleep top three, top five uh, in terms of a a tool to reduce your injury risk. Um, You know, I'm the strength running guy, so I've got to say strength training. You know, I think the science is pretty clear, Uh, both the the lived experience of high-level runners and coaches and the research behind it as well shows that once you've got your training right, once you are 
sleeping really well, once you're actually psychologically invested in whatever goal that you're going after, I think that's that's probably the most important thing for overall progression. Are you in love with the sport? Do you absolutely love what you're doing? Are you, do you have some sort of you know, big goal that gets you up in the morning, that's what's going to keep you progressing in the long term. Even if you make all these mistakes, you know, I've had all the injuries. (laughs) I don't think I've not had a single type of running injury. You know, actually there's a couple I haven't had. So let's knock on wood there. But once you have that big goal that motivates you, then it's like, okay, what are the tactics that we can implement on the ground? And I think strength training is arguably one of the most impactful strategies that one can implement to reduce your injury risk, to get stronger, improves your running economy, which is going to help with both your progression in the long term. So strength training would be one of those things that I would call a, um, you know, a, a low risk, high reward training option that is going to give you a lot of benefit, but really doesn't have too many drawbacks. Yes, you can do strength training incorrectly, but I honestly think that incorrect strength training is better than no strength training at all. What do you think? Do you think I'm a little off base with my my love letter to strength training there? <laughs> no. no, I actually love that. I'm glad that you um, – I was hoping that you would bring up strength training. So I feel like strength training is such a huge component to training and racing well and also staying healthy in the long run that a lot of athletes – don't buy into until they have an injury pop up and maybe they're they're forced a little bit through PT to start working um, in the gym. And, you know, Jason, you're a big believer that it doesn't have to be hours in the gym, right? It can be 20 to 30 minutes a few times a week. And it really does move the needle in fitness. I've seen it as a coach and a lot of athletes who've really embraced that strength training component once they kind of get to a level in their training of like the foundation miles are there, they've run, maybe it's a few marathons or a few half marathons or going after this, you know, PR, this goal, like let's get after it. Let's start going into the 1% to really move the needle in that. And strength training is definitely going to be one of them. And it doesn't take long. And once you start to feel the benefits of it, it really is addictive in some sense. And it is something that you continue to see gains from. You can continue to feel the strength on the track and on the road. And it's something that really is a huge needle mover for athletes. Yeah. It is strange that we almost have to directly experience the benefits for us to start getting on board with strength training. And on the one hand, I get it. We're runners. We don't want to lift weights. I'm sort of in that boat too. You know, I'm someone who would rather go run 10 miles than spend 25 minutes in the weight room because most of that time is just spent sitting around in between lifts and I just can't sit still for that long. I'd rather be running around on some dirt road road and boulder with you, Sarah. But um, if I can't do that, then you know, at, at least I will do the strength training because it will then allow me to do more running on the dirt roads with you. So I recognize it, but I... I I also would love to sort of bottle up those benefits and, and put it in some sort of sub beverage that runners could have. <laughs> so they didn't have to actually do anything that they didn't want to do. Infuse them with strength and just have it 
there. I love that. I feel like I, you know, I started strength training at the beginning of the year. I was going into my second Boston Marathon and my coach said, we really need to work on strength. You want to run the hill strong. You want to run the Newton Hill strong. You want to have a strong 26.2. You need to get in the gym. And at this point, I'd been running higher mileage. I have I was going into my fifth marathon and I was taking reformer Pilates twice a week and adding in one strength training session through the Boston Marathon. We did it on Wednesdays after my workout, after my track workout. It made such a huge difference. And then it was something that I wanted to continue to add. So then I went into an off season or not really an off season, maybe an off season for marathoning, but I went into a summer of speed and I practiced running the mile and the 5K and really honing in on that top end speed. We added a second day of strength training, and I came through the fall in full beast mode. It was incredible, and I could feel the benefits of like how great all that time in the gym was. And if you can really lean into your why and lean into the reason behind going into the gym and getting it done, I think it makes it a little bit easier too. Yeah. I mean, we could probably have a whole podcast episode only talking about the fact that you focusing on strength and speed is is likely going to be a major contributor to breakthroughs in the marathon. It's not this never-ending quest for endurance. You've got to be a more well-rounded athlete. Well, we can maybe put a pin on that. We'll come back to it another time in the future, Sarah. But uh, let's get to a question on heart rate. This is actually really interesting. Um, you know, uh, this question goes, if heart rate is higher on easy runs right before a race, should that be a concern? It can definitely impact my mental game, which is why I'm asking. And, and maybe I'll just jump in first here and give a very simple answer. I would just say no. I, I would say that, look, if you're in the week leading up to a race, you notice that your heart rate is, is higher than usual on a couple of your easy runs. Look, we could sit here and overanalyze this and absolutely ruin your confidence going into your goal race that's coming up. But why would we do that? At this point, the hay is in the barn. There's really not much one can do to address this high heart rate. There's not even really much time to determine if this is a problem or if this is not a problem. This could be a minor thing. It could be a temporary thing. Who knows? My suggestion is simply, maybe you ignore the heart rate on your easy runs right now Maybe you get a little bit more sleep leading up to your goal race. If you can, maybe try to counteract any sort of fatigue or, or you know, need for extra recovery, and then just try to run the race to the best of your ability, not thinking about this high heart rate during your easy runs at all. Um, so I, I'm a little bit like an ostrich with this question. I want to stick my head in the sand. I want to ignore it a little bit because there's not much really we can do. Um, you know, there, I would have a different answer if this was in the middle of the training cycle, but I'm curious how you would deal with this. Yeah, definitely. If it's happening on race week, let's build this athlete up and say, forget about the data, right? It could mean that maybe this athlete, because they are in taper, it's race week, they have to shift some things in their personal life around to accommodate for travel or for race weekend. Maybe they're running at a different time of the day. Maybe they're they forgot their heart rate monitor and they're using their wrist heart rate, right? Um, maybe it's race week nerves, right? We all have that. And I feel like that can kind of impact it. And if you are a little bit more hypersensitive to the data, I think too, it's 
maybe it's one run. It's your first run and the heart rate is a little bit higher. And then that's all you're thinking about on runs two and three of that week. Chances are, if you're over-focusing it on the heart rate, it's probably going to be a little bit higher anyways, just because you're focusing in on it. So what I love to share with athletes on race week is let's get back to your goal for the race. Let's visualize what you want to create, what you want to run, and really just hone in on that. And I think everything else will fall into place because Jason, you're right. The hay is in the barn. It's race week. It's time to celebrate on race morning. Yeah. This is probably a great point to say like, this is where the value of a coach can be really impactful because I think if you don't have someone almost talking you off the ledge a little bit, <laughs> then you, you might stay up there on the ledge and and really, you know, kind of hurt your psychology going into the race. And, and, and I'm someone who believes that racing is like 99% mental. You know, you could be in the best shape of your life, but if you don't have the mental toughness, the confidence, the drive, and, and really the willingness to experience some discomfort on race day, you're never really going to achieve very much. And being so lost in the data is probably not a good thing for your mindset going into a big goal race. So there's a time and a place to really pour over that data. I don't think a couple of days before your goal race is that time. Because at this point, like you said, it's the time to be talked up. It's the time to almost ignorantly tell yourself that you are about to qualify for the Olympic trials. You are about to have a breakthrough. And I think that kind of cheerleading for yourself has its place in the days leading up to a big goal race. Absolutely. Now let's talk about warmups. Um, when you're talking to your athletes, Sarah, do you have a, a, a different philosophy on how you warm up for a run if it's an easy run or a long run versus a very short run? Maybe you're going to the track and you're doing a set of hard intervals, or even if you're getting ready for, say, a short race like a 5K. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I feel like all of those types of runs or styles of runs require a different warm-up, right? So if we're going out for, let's say, it's a five-mile easy run, there's a great run in Wash Park on Tuesday nights at six o'clock. Jason, you've been there. And, you know, we'll warm up with leg swings. We'll keep it light. We'll keep it easy. And then we'll start that first mile a little bit slower than maybe what our intended or average pace is going to be for that five miles, right? Just nice and easy warm up into that first mile along with those leg swings. I think the same can be true for the long run. If you're going into a long run with quality or a long run that does have some race pace in it, maybe it's marathon pace, there can be a time and place where you stop after your easy miles and before you go in to your marathon pace miles, you do the dynamic stretches, the drills, and maybe a few strides. My coach had me do that last week before my long run that had a 5555 five moderate, five at marathon pace and repeat. And it really did help getting into um, a faster pace a little bit easier. So that's a great way in the long run to kind of warm up. But when you're going into the track and you have, let's say you are training for a 5k and you have a very speedy track workout, I really love the leg swings, the hip openers, going out for two or three mile warm up, easy, easy, easy. And then coming back to the track and doing, you know, 15 to 20 minutes of dynamic stretches, drills, 
two by 100 meter strides and then maybe two by 50 meter strides. I get to do that in practice every week. It's a really nice way to warm up in those 100 meter strides, take the 50 meter strides a little bit faster, and then really listen to your body too. What do you need in this moment? What do you need that might be a little bit different from last week, especially if you are in a big, heavy training cycle or even an intense training cycle like a 5K? You might need a little bit more based on the day um, and then ease into it. Maybe it is taking a transition um, interval first and then going into your first rep for your 5K workout. With racing, I love this question about racing and warming up because I feel like and know that the shorter the distance you're racing, the longer the warm-up should be, right? So if you're going into a one-mile and a 5K race, really focus in on maybe it's a three- to four-mile warm-up. You're doing your dynamic stretches, your drills, your strides, and cooling or ending your last stride, taking a gel and hoping that there's about five to seven minutes before the race starts. I know sometimes that can get a little funny depending on what race you're running and how big the race is. But it really does make a huge needle mover in your training and on race day. And I'm a big believer, too, that how you show up in training is how you show up on race day. So practicing this in training is going to give you, I think, a little bit of peace of mind and maybe some confidence that morning on race day, um, going into it, knowing you've done this before, you're going to do it again, and it's going to ease your concerns and have that breakthrough race. Yeah, totally. I mean, this really gets to the point that like the harder the effort, the more comprehensive the warm up needs to be. And you know, if you if you go to a college track meet, you are going to see people warming up in a very methodical way, and they're probably going to be doing strides almost up until the official calls them to the starting line. So this, the, their last stride might be 30 seconds or a minute before the race starts. And that just goes to show for those kinds of races where, you know, you're doing something very hard, whether it's a 5k or some workout on the track or a hill workout, as long as it's a high intensity workout, you need to be ready to start running at that intensity right from the gun, right from the first repetition. This is not maybe like a tempo run or a marathon pace effort where you know, there's a little bit more flexibility to ease into the effort. If you're racing a mile, you need to be on your mile pace from step number one, right? And, and to be able to, to be able to do that, to be metabolically primed for that effort, the warm up has to be pretty substantial. And, and I kind of look at it as like a probably a four part warm up. You know, you've got your dynamic warm up beforehand that sort of primes you for running. Then you've got some easy miles, usually two to three miles, maybe four is enough for most runners. Then you have a series of drills. Then you do some strides. Then you're ready to race or do your hard workout. Whereas, you know, if you're getting ready for a marathon, maybe just do the dynamic warm up, and you may even make it easier because you're not doing any of the lunges. So for example, the standard warm up routine that we have at strength running, you know, this includes 50 different lunges. I don't think that's a good idea when you're lining up for a 26.2 mile race. You know, it just might make you a little bit too sore. It's just a little bit too comprehensive. So this might be a good opportunity just to skip that entirely and just do five minutes of some relatively easy dynamic stretches. Um, but this idea that 
longer and easier running just doesn't require as much of a warm up is a pretty good one you know and like you said you know those tuesday group runs that that i join sometimes at wash park here in denver um we won't really do much of a warm up and that's okay because it's a pretty low intensity low effort uh kind of run and you know my walk over to the group is probably enough <laughs> for that warm up <laughs> yeah let's get into maybe my favorite question of this podcast, Sarah, which comes from Peter. He wants to know, how do you think about building an athlete over a multi-year period? Can you have any kind of a plan over that time horizon? This is a good one. Yeah, I would say absolutely if the athlete knows where they want to (laughs) go. If they know where they want to go, you take their ultimate goal. Let's say it's running a sub three hour marathon. It's a BQ. It's an OTQ. And you work backwards from there in terms of how long is it going to take us to get there? And sometimes you will have a lot of shifting in the planning too, right? You might have a breakthrough season. The athlete might um, adapt very quickly just to training in general and show really large gains over the first few years. But ultimately, you want to take that end goal, work backwards, and really make sure if it is, let's say, the marathon, that you're not just focused in on training for the marathon. You get to also work on speed and have different seasons that allow you to have and be a well-rounded athlete. Yeah, it's a good question because it sort of is like like a question about my entire life, right? <laughs> like my for a very long time my singular goal was to become the fastest runner I could be. And you know, that was my multi-year goal. And, and the way that I did that was basically bouncing from season to season to season, and within each season I had different goals. You know, maybe I was focused on a half marathon, or I was focused on uh, a bunch of 5k, 8k, 10k distance races, or maybe it was a marathon cycle. And I think this idea of cycling through the training process is really important. And, um, you know, the, the one thing I'll say is, if you do have, say, a two or three year goal, maybe it's that sub three marathon, or that's Boston qualifying goal, I would say that doesn't mean that you have a two-year training plan for a fast marathon. It means you have many cycles within that big time period. And each cycle is like a season. It might be a 12 to 20-week season, and you're focusing on something. It almost doesn't really matter what you're focusing on, whether it's a fast mile or a fast marathon or a fast half marathon. Really, what we're looking for is improvement. And so if I'm seeing improvement, then I'm going to be happy as a coach because after all, running fitness is running fitness, right? Like running is running. If you go from being able to run a 750 mile to a 722 mile, that's enormous improvement in my mind. And now you're a better runner and better runners are also going to perform better in other race distances. So the best way to get better at some race distance is just to race a lot and and get better at any race distance. And so, I mean, there's no one plan, right? Unless you have it. Sarah, do you have like a three-year training program available? No, I wish I did. (laughs) (laughs) No, I don't. (laughs) Wish I could correct that. (laughs) Yeah, there's really none. And, you know, this is why I often chafe against some of these really long training cycles that some coaches write, you know, this 24, 28-week training plan. And I'm like, oh my goodness, this is just... 
this is too long to really focus on much of anything. You know, maybe 24 weeks for a 100 mile ultra marathon, you know, maybe we can bend that rule a little bit, but I, I prefer the 12 to 18 week cycles and, and just focusing on executing more of those cycles during the year, because I think that's where the magic happens. That's where the improvement actually happens is going after a bunch of different races, but then giving yourself enough rest and recovery in between those cycles so that you're fresh, you're still excited about your goals, and you can continue moving forward. Absolutely. That rest and recovery is so important. And it's something that I think a lot of us as athletes don't like to lean into, but that really is the time and place for our mind and body to really recover, repair, and get ready and excited for the next training cycle. Yeah. And I think the harder your training cycle, the more flexibility you have to rest even harder after that training cycle. So, you know, if it was just a 22 week high mileage, brutal marathon cycle, you might need two or three weeks off and and then a whole bunch of very easy weeks afterward. But, you know, if it was a 5k training cycle and you're not super beat up afterward and it was only 12 weeks maybe you only need a week off and then you can sort of jump right back into things i would say err on the conservative side but probably recognize that you don't really need more than three to five weeks for most runners yeah all right now let's get to endurance building well also one of my favorite questions that we're going to tackle here um and this is for our high mileage runners so Ivan wants to know, you know, once your running volume gets high, let's say you're running more than 60 miles per week, can high volume cross training be used to expand your aerobic capacity even further? So this is something, for example, where you might do a bunch of easy bike rides or even hikes. Is that something that's going to help your aerobic metabolism or, or should we just focus on running because specificity is always king? Ooh, this is a good question. I feel like you know, running is definitely the primary sport, right? So doing and running and practicing running as much as you can is a great way to set yourself up for success on race day. I think cross training does have its place, especially if an athlete is looking to maybe have doubles of running in the morning. You could do some biking or cycling at night. Um, It is a way for some athletes who, you know, are maybe topping off at three, three and a half hours in the long run, but the mileage is a little bit under that 20 mile threshold for, let's say a marathon training cycle. It could be a really great idea for that athlete to jump on the bike and get another hour or so of aerobic fitness from that biking that lowers the risk of getting injured or being injured, but it still helps that athlete feel um, that they can conquer the 26.2 on race day. So I feel like it definitely has its place, but I would say from like the coaching standpoint, it's very like, it depends per athlete and what makes sense for that athlete. Yeah. I'm, I'm sort of in the same boat where, you know, actually I think both things are true. You know, like specificity is king. You're, you're never going to become a good runner by cycling. You, you're going to become a good runner by focusing on your running. That doesn't mean cross training doesn't have a place. And, you know, if I have two runners in front of me with similar talent levels, one of them's running 65 miles a week with no cross training. And the other runner is doing 65 miles a week with an extra three hours of aerobic cross training. 
I'm going to slide my chips over to the runner who's doing the extra cross training and place my money on that runner that they're probably going to win in the race. Just because when it comes to easy aerobic exercise, it's hard to say that more isn't better. Mm-hmm. As long as you are doing appropriate training and especially with cross training where the injury risk is so much less, you know, as long as it's not negatively impacting your quality days, you know, like maybe you don't, don't go for a three hour bike ride in the morning before your afternoon key quality session on the track, because you're just going to be tired and you're not going to be able to perform very well. But if it's structured really well, I'm a hundred percent for it. I, I would love to see high mileage runners also doing, you know, the equivalent of high volume cross training because aerobic development is something that, you know, is the gift that keeps on giving. And if we can continue (laughs) to develop that aerobic metabolism, we're going to be better runners for it. Yeah, definitely. Is there any cross training that you don't like, Sarah, that you would just rather see runners avoid entirely? Um, gosh, that's a great question. I love biking for runners. I love swimming for runners. Um, I think rowing has its place. And I would say sometimes hiking might not be considered cross-training depending on how how low the heart rate stays and where the zone lands and if it's really that beneficial for that athlete. Yeah. Hiking is an interesting one because like the way I think about it is it's probably more beneficial for ultra runners who actually have to do some hiking within their events. And it's probably more helpful for trail runners who just likely have to, you know, are obviously on that kind of terrain more often. So they're specifically getting exposure to that terrain. And for the ultra runners, you know, they can practice speed hiking on uphills. They can practice, you know, quickly descending on some technical terrain. There's a lot of different things they can focus on. It's just hard if those folks who are trying to get a lot of aerobic development with hiking, it's just hard if they don't live in a state like Colorado, like, like we do Sarah, because if you're not hiking uphill, maybe at altitude, it's probably going to be hard to get your heart rate up to a level that's going to have a lot of physiological benefit to your running. So while it can be great, it's also, it kind of depends on how you structure it, like almost anything. Uh, I was a little surprised to hear you say swimming, by the way. Can, can you tell me how you like to incorporate swimming as cross-training? I think sometimes it can be an awesome like if an if an athlete's running five days a week, they have one day of rest. Um, I, it can be an awesome sixth day, and it could be thirty minutes. I think aerobically, it's so solid for an athlete to be able to incorporate that into their training. Um, obviously, the injury risk is a lot lower. They have a lot of benefits that added benefits to it from swimming and just staying in that low aerobic zone. Um, but I have some athletes who can't run high mileage. So it is a way to kind of add in and sprinkle in some of that extra goodness. Yeah. I see it as like likely the most therapeutic cross training that you might be able to choose. You know, it's the cross training that's probably going to leave your body feeling the best afterward because it's not super specific to running and it's a little bit more recovery oriented. I think if runners can get comfortable in a low aerobic zone with swimming, they're going to be much more athletic in general. And so I, I do like to see that. Um, 
Do you, do you like to see runners do any pool running as well? Because it seems like you like the pool. <laughs> I actually don't like the pool. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you don't. <laughs> um, well, personally, I don't like the pool. As a coach, I think it, it can be great. I think it all depends on the athlete. And I think pool running has its place if an athlete's coming back from injury. I feel like that's a really great place for an athlete to start. Um, or if they're, yeah, if they're coming back from an injury or stress fracture or somewhere where they need to be in a pool to be able to get that movement, have that aerobic development and build on that fitness, but not have the taxing of what a regular run can do for a body. Um, so it definitely has its time and place, but I don't prescribe it for athletes who, you know, are healthy. They're running my, great mileage. They're running healthy workouts and everything's, you know, going smoothly. Yeah. I have some very bad memories of being injured a long time ago. And I immediately went from all of my running outside to all of my running plus about 50% in the pool. So I was running about two hours in the pool every day, split between two workouts, usually an hour and an hour, or maybe 90 minutes and a half an hour. And, and not only did I just smell like chlorine all day, every day? But it, it was it was the most boring training block of my entire life. And I would not wish that upon anyone. I know that a lot of people love pool running. You know, they get the aqua jogging belt on and they can just spend hours in the pool. It, it is maybe the most boring exercise, uh, but it is more specific. And so if you are injured, it can be a really good training tool for you. Um, now, Speaking of specificity, Joseph has a really good question, sort of about the difference between being in shape and the difference between being race ready. And I think they are somewhat mutually exclusive. Like you can be in good shape, but not be ready to race. And so Joseph says, you know, coming out of a big racing block, there is a detraining phase. You know, you might not run any hard workouts, but you know, you're, you're still running some decent mileage in the weeks after a goal race. How should we think about fitness and where we are as we then build into the next training block, which is a few months down the road? You know, should we do a time trial to see where we're at, or should we just sort of accept how we feel and how we're performing at this time of the training phase? That's a great question. And I feel like a lot of athletes might ask this question after they come off of a, a training cycle, they come off of a great race. And I would say, trust the process. Let's get back to running. Let's get back to running um, some good mileage, start adding in the strides, the hill strides, get that long run back to where it needs to be. And let's just see where you are. I don't think a time trial is really necessary, especially if this athlete has just raced six weeks ago or something. We have a great data point from that race. And we can use that to structure the future training cycle or the next training cycle. And then of course, like shift things around a little bit as we need to based on how that athlete is showing up because we show up differently every single day. And that's one of the coolest parts of, of being a runner and being an athlete. And it's something that when you have a coach, the coaches are able to um, also shift and move things around to set that athlete up for success. So I would say lean into it, trust the process and um, and have a lot of fun rebuilding. Yeah. And this whole idea of rebuilding, you know, I, I use that term all the time anyway. Uh, but let's be clear. It's not like this person is rebuilding from scratch, right? Yeah. Like every yeah. cycle builds on itself. And 
the difference between being race ready and being in good shape is is a stark difference and it sort of just depends on where you are in the training cycle and i know earlier we talked about this idea of just cycling through the training process and you just said believe in the process trust the process part of that process is taking time off after a goal race then having a period of easy training where you're probably not doing a lot of workouts. The workouts you are doing are probably short or low intensity or maybe a combination. And then you get into the competition phase of training where you start doing hard workouts. Then you might start adding in some tune-up races. You know, Then you're sort of in your peak training. Then you start tapering. Then you run your goal race and the whole cycle repeats itself. And if we were to insert a time trial into that early phase of training where we're just doing low intensity running, it's almost like we're sort of disrespecting the training cycle and where we are within that cycle. So I would say to Joseph, you are still in great shape. You're just not going to race well because you're not really primed for a peak performance, but your foundation is still there. You have already built this amazing base or foundation of fitness you're just not really ready to run very fast. So respect that process and just commit to whatever your coach is telling you to do or whatever the training cycle that, that you've created is, is indicating. So if it's just easy running and, and building back your, both your mileage and your workouts, let's do that. Let's not try to add a whole bunch of things during this, you know, essentially base phase of training because it's not really the time for that. We'll get to that later when we're doing the hard workouts and our body is much more primed to actually run fast. Yeah. Wow. What a whirlwind, Sarah. We got through all of our questions for today. Uh, is, is there anything on any of those questions that, that we didn't really get to that you wanted to highlight for, for our listeners today? Um, and, and let me first just say thank you to everyone who submitted their questions. Yeah. Thank you, everyone, for the questions. It was awesome. And I feel like if you're going into a new training cycle, if you have a race coming up, maybe you're in taper phase right now, like just know that you can do it. Know that you've put in all the hard work. Trust yourself. Prove yourself right with every mile. And it's going to be an awesome experience. And then you get to rest, recover, and do everything all over again. I love it. And, you know, since we are talking about progression and some of these big picture things about training cycles and multi-year goals and things like that, I think a, a big principle to maybe leave our listeners with is this idea of progressive overload. And it has to happen both within a cycle and also from cycle to cycle. So for example, Sarah, you're training really well right now. You're hoping to have a fantastic half marathon tomorrow. Uh, we saw each other, I want to say roughly a month ago, a couple of weeks ago, we were running and you were saying you were running over 70 miles a week. You didn't always run 70 miles a week. Th this training cycle that you're currently in is a huge level up from training cycles that you might have accomplished one or even two years ago. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. This I'm... I'm training for my sixth marathon and each training cycle builds on 
the last training cycle, right? And I've sprinkled in a lot of half marathons, like I'm running and racing a half marathon tomorrow. I'm racing a marathon in five weeks. And I've sprinkled in speed. I've raced some 5K, some 10Ks. I'm going back to that after running CIM. I think that's going to be a huge up level to my training. And it really, each training cycle really does build on the last one. So I ran Boston earlier this year. We touched 73 miles. I had a lot of hilly long runs. We added in strength. For this training cycle, we really focused in on let's do a, let's run a little bit more higher mileage. Let's have some awesome tune-ups. I ran a 5k race three weeks ago in Chicago. I have the Indianapolis half tomorrow and then CIM for the last build. And um, so there's a lot of quality. There's a lot of high mileage. I'm still practicing my strength training and getting into the gym. Um, and really my mindset has shifted a lot in this training cycle specifically. So I have a much stronger mind going into these races, into the high, high mileage weeks. And it's a great place to be, but know that when you do see someone running, maybe as much as I am, know that it does take a lot of time. It takes a lot of practice and you're inching forward. If you take big jumps, typically you'll see an injury or something happen. Um, it could be burnout from the athlete. So if you inch forward and just change, maybe it's one, maybe two things in your training cycle each time, at some point you'll get to where you want to be. Maybe it is running high mileage. Maybe it is running that 70, 75 miles a week. Um, but really know, trust yourself and know that you'll get there. Um, and it's just a matter of time. Time's going to pass anyways. So we might as well train and do what we can. And eventually we'll get there. Yeah. I like how your progress has included progress in a lot of different areas. You know, you've gotten more consistent with strength training over time. So you've progressed with your strength training. You have progressed with your overall weekly mileage you probably progressed with how you approach tune-up races, you know, probably with, for your first marathon. Maybe you didn't run a tune-up race because you're so focused on the training or you just did one tune-up race and now you're just racing all the time because you can just get after it, right? Yeah, yeah. In my first training cycle, I ran like five races in that training cycle and I, I didn't know what I was doing. This was a long time ago. <laughs> so I just registered for all these races and then it ended up being just a lot of intense like race weekends, right? Um, but yeah, each training cycle, I learned so much about myself. And it's something that I really hope that everyone, once they get through a training cycle, you run your A goal race, take some time to really reflect on what worked, what didn't work in the training cycle, what you can up level for the next training cycle. And it could be in nutrition, it could be in sleep, it could be um, this summer, I added in heat training. And my coach asked me to start running, you know, around 10, 11 a.m. or even in the afternoon if I could fit that into my schedule. And that's a huge game changer too. So I really suggest like leaning into the uncomfortable parts maybe that you don't want to really explore in training because that's where you're going to find the most growth that'll lead to maybe some fun race times. Well, I'm excited. Well, Sarah, best of luck tomorrow. I, I hope you accomplish your goal and it's everything you hoped it would be. Uh, if folks want to connect with you somewhere on the internets, where might they be able to find you? 
Yeah, I'm on Instagram at Sayra, S-A-Y-R-A-H runs happy and at Elevate Your Running. My coaching website is elevateyourrunning.com and you can find me in both of those places. There we go. Well, Sarah, thanks for your time today. Appreciate it. Thanks, Jason. And that's our show. Thank you for listening. Now, if you're a fan of my work here on the podcast, you can pay it forward by rating or reviewing the show, sharing it with your running friends or club, or you can invest in a training program at strengthrunning.com. You can also support the show by supporting our sponsors. Their links and discount codes support the podcast and indicate to them that they should continue sponsoring the show. First, hook yourself up with some free electrolytes. Our sponsor, Element, is offering a free gift with your purchase at drinklmnt.com slash strengthrunning. And this does not have to be your first purchase. You're going to get a sample pack with every flavor so you can try them all before deciding what you like best. Now, if you're not familiar with Element, it's my favorite way to hydrate. They make electrolytes for athletes and low-carb folks with no sugar, no artificial ingredients or colors. I'm now in the habit of giving away boxes of Element at group runs around Denver. You heard me and Sarah talk about the Tuesday group run at Wash Park that I sometimes go to. Well, I'm always bringing Element to that group run, and everyone loves it. It can also be super helpful to prevent dehydration when you're doing a long run, or especially if you're feeling overly tired, or if you're getting headaches, cramps, or sleeplessness, especially after long runs or workouts, you might have an electrolyte imbalance or a deficiency. Boost your performance and your recovery, especially in the heat, with Element. They're the exclusive hydration partner to Team USA Weightlifting, and quite a few professional baseball, hockey, and basketball teams are on regular subscriptions. Plus, Element is my go-to morning beverage if I've frequented one of Denver's many breweries the night before, and I want my morning to feel a little bit smoother. Check them out at drinklmnt.com slash strengthrunning. You'll get your free sample pack gift with your purchase, and you can go on getting your hydration optimized for your upcoming season. Next, get yourself 15% off your first purchase at prevenex.com with code JASON15. Prevenex is a unique supplement company that holds itself to standards that the rest of the industry does not. I know you've heard me talk about Joint Health Plus from Prevenex and how it's directly impacted the health of so many of our listeners. Their CEO, David, keeps forwarding me your testimonials because the results are simply incredible. Let me share with you the latest that David sent me. This one is from Erica. She titled her testimonial, Eliminated Joint Pain and Swelling. She wrote, I have tried a few glucosamine supplements that were okay and relieved some of my joint stiffness and pain. Those supplements did cause some stomach upset if I didn't take them with enough food. Then I found Prevenex. I take it every day in the morning, no food needed, and have zero joint pain or swelling. I also suggested it to my husband, who is having some hip pain in the mornings. His hip pain is gone, and he now swears by Prevenex also. Very thankful to have found this product. Thank you, Erica, for that feedback. Now, Joint Health Plus is so powerful because the main active ingredient has been clinically proven to reduce joint pain, reduce joint stiffness, and improve joint flexibility in just 7 to 10 days. I mean, that's almost unheard of. And it's also clinically proven, not just tested, but actually proven in double-blinded, placebo-controlled studies to protect joint cartilage from breaking down during exercise. 
And if you don't currently have any joint pain, my personal favorite products are their meal replacement shake that I love after hard runs called Nurify, plus their immune support and multivitamin. I love feeling like I'm firing on all cylinders, and Prevenex helps me do just that. Get 15% off your first Prevenex purchase by using code JASON15 at checkout. Visit Prevenex.com, that's P-R-E-V-I-N-E-X.com, and I'll note one last thing. Prevenex offers a 30-day money-back guarantee where if you don't feel the benefits on their products, you get your money back, no questions asked. All right, that's our show, my friends. If I can ever be of service to you, don't ever hesitate to reach out. You can find me on Instagram, on the Strength Running YouTube channel, and strengthrunning.com. We'll talk soon. 